As we continue shedding light on mental health in the Black community, it's important to touch on what mental health may look like in some of the different subcultures of the Black community. We're going to dive into the trap culture on this episode. The trap is just not the hood. The hood can be the set you claim or the neighborhood you grew up in. But the trap is where the killers and drug dealers live and dwell. Now, killers are not always murderers. It's a name we sometimes call street soldiers in the trap. The trap is where poverty and prostitution and drug addiction is the norm and perfectly acceptable. On this episode, we're going to look into the thought process of some of the gangsters from the trap. Now, by the dictionary definition of a gangster, it's defined as a member of a gang of violent criminals. But where I come from is considered a street soldier, a traumatic risk taker, a brave soul, a fighter and a human lion that chooses to eat before they get ate. Yes, crime is involved when living a street life, but crime is law in the hood. And unfortunately for most, it's a way of life and a way to survive. And the only way they've ever known. The only way to ever heal the trap wounds endured is to heal and treat the entire problem. It's critical to heal from the past to avoid complicating your future. It can impact the way you form relationships, whether it's family, friends, intimate relationships, and even your children. It can hold you back and tear you down. The effects are endless. Gangster stress disorder is not listed in the DSM-5. It should be. But the DSM-5 is the diagnostic and statistical manual we clinicians use to rely on for consistent and reliable diagnosing. Gangster stress disorder is a diagnosis I came up with to describe and treat these trap wounds that can be difficult to address because trauma and drama are normalized while you're living in the land of the lost. Your healthy emotions and mental well-being will be hard to find. We need to be able to treat and address these issues in language they can understand and relate to and offer attainable coping skills to better navigate their world. Gangsters witness and endure a lot of trauma, so much that it becomes a way of life and they become numb to it. They get trapped in a dangerous cycle and the only way out is tended to be prison or death. These issues can have long lasting effects the longer you stay in it. But with culturally conscious therapy and a new outlook and a new way of life, healing can definitely begin. So we already have stress disorders that are existing already in the DSM-5. You may have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, acute stress disorder. But any stress disorder can be caused by death, threat of death, threat of death to oneself or others, the threat of serious injury to oneself or others, the threat of physical integrity of oneself or others, along with the overwhelming feeling to have money and provide when we're talking about gangsters from the trap. That's a very real feeling for them. I talked to one person before, somebody I knew from the trap, and I asked him, what was his biggest fear? And he told me to be broke. And I thought that was so powerful. So today we have a very, very special guest, a very special Excited. friend of mine. Um, his name is Skin. He's from Cleveland, Ohio, and he's a thoroughbred survivor from the concrete jungle and found himself forced to step up as a child to make ends meet. And he was trained up to be a gangster very, very early on in life. Um, and I consider him um, an ultimate survivor mm. of the streets. And so I like to welcome him today. He's going to. Give us an insight to the yeah. thought process of this gangster lifestyle. And I'm just a fan of his story. And I admire him so much because I come from that place. Mm -hmm. And when we see one of us get out and Inspiring. still thriving, I mean, it's it's beautiful to us. Yeah. 
And so, welcome, Skin. Hey, what's going on? Welcome, 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 man. I can't, I can't. I'm excited to hear your story, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited for y'all having me. I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you for joining yeah. in. I know, you know, part of the story, but I just want to have our people relate because yeah. we don't get to talk about these right, stories exactly. much often. Um, from where we come from and still being feeling attainable that you can mm-hmm. get out here and, you know, do something else. So we're going to get right into some questions. Mm-hmm. So we understand the thought process. Now, Skin, were you drawn or attracted to the street life or do you feel like circumstances forced your hand to get into the street so early? Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't want any parts of it. Uh, my circumstances definitely led me that way. So whatever you're comfortable sharing with us, can you can we discuss how you got into the game? Well, uh originally uh I was in junior high school and that's when all my friends, you know, they really started doing their thing. Yeah. And uh I ain't want no parts of it. But uh we had some, you know, family issues and uh you know, I needed a few things and uh it just won many opportunities, so that opportunity kept presenting itself, and uh, one day I uh, I took the opportunity. When you say it was presenting, it was presenting um, itself to you. Like, what was the the, the things that they were getting, or they kind of like, uh, you know, hey man, you should get into it. You should get into it. It's how much money we making, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, they came through. You know, showing. Showing them, you know, the money they was making, the cars they was getting it. And, you know, they kept trying to give it to me. Mm. Here, man, take this. You know what I mean? You, you hurting out here, man. You need, you know, you need to get yourself together, man. You know, and I I just really wanted to go to school at the time. I really, I, you know, I ain't wanted that to be part of my life. Right. So how old you were when you first, when those opportunities started presenting itself, when you finally made the decision to go ahead and jump into it? Well, they started probably at about twelve, mm-hmm. but um, I ain't, uh, I didn't jump into it until about fourteen. That's when I jumped off the porch. Now imagine being fourteen years old right, and right. you know needing some stuff, and they finally caught you on the right day. And that happens every day. You know, the young boys are approached early. They see something in you, and you know it's go time. And fortunately, they catch them on. The wrong right day, you know. When I do, I do. Yeah. So let's get into like how you were raised, because like you said, you didn't want any parts of this. Talk about yeah. you know how you were raised. Well, my family, you know, they all pretty crazy for real. Like, <laughs> you know, the part, the immediate family that raised me. You know, my grandfather, he, I think it was something else, man. Like. <laughs> <laughs> He worked. He worked uh, for RTA, and then he Mac Bras, and then he did his thing on the side. Like, ain't no telling what he had his hands, and he always drove Cadillac. Mm. I think I think one time I wanted to see him drive one other car beside the Cadillac, but the whole way, and talk all kind of crazy shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> for real, they used to party real heavy, and mm. but but my immediate household in the beginning it was. It was nice, you know, it was a dual parent household, my stepfather, my mother, and they was working class people and you know, they took care of business and you know, then things did change. Yeah. 
in circumstances. Yeah. yeah. How influential? Now we talked about granddad. Who else was influential? And your parents. Who else was influential in your upbringing? Uh, my mom, my stepdad, my granddad, my grandmother, and a couple of aunts. They was real influential. Uh, they actually was. I, I kind of feel like now looking back at it, they was grooming me from the beginning. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just really didn't even know it. Yeah. But they, you know, they kept me with them. They exposed me to different things. And, you know, they act like I didn't know what was going on. But I think they knew I knew what was going on. Yeah. But uh, did it, you know, growing up in certain areas, it didn't feel too foreign? Right. No, like it that? felt, no, it felt uh, natural. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like this is what's I mean, going from on. yeah, from a young age, I remember my mother and father smoking weed, drinking, and throw parties. And, yeah. You know what I mean? And then the same light shit. That was the life. Do you remember feeling nurtured at all? Like getting hugs and positive reinforcement, feeling loved and cared for. You know what? Yeah, and like I said, younger it was good. You know, uh, I come home with a good report card. You know, I was treated to a nice gift or something. Or my mother, uh, one of my friends, <laughs> he he still talk about this shit to this day. He like he just come get me to walk to school with him. We was in like uh, you know elementary, and he he's like, man, your mother's fix you breakfast every morning. Mm. And, he, and he used to, he used to kind of be salty about that because his people now she would fix me breakfast. But his people, they was putting together, they matched the plan so they could move out the hood. Mm. Okay. You know what I mean? Wow. So, and I broke it down to him like that. I said, yeah, but your people got your body here. But he was ungrateful. Yeah. You know, he wanted oatmeal with the carnation milk and the brown <laughs> sugar. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that. So he didn't understand that being absentee at that moment, you know, it was because they was working to get on up out of there. And it, so they couldn't be a, there in the morning. Yeah, it took him a long time to understand that it was no great reward without great sacrifice. And to go from that to feeling nurtured, and I think we take so much of that, you know, for granted, just hearing him, you know, when you think back to it, like, I had breakfast every day. That's not a norm, Yeah, no. you know, for a lot of our children in these communities. And I know you can't even go to school and get breakfast, but what about those who can't even make it to school? Right. You know, um, yeah. That's not a priority to even get there. Right. But the reason I'm asking certain questions or certain reasons to give people a different, you know, outlook, that was a big deal. And another child saw it, you know, like, yeah. man, my mother, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that meant like, sent you off and waking up. I, you know, I got yeah. you. I want to see you good. But they had a different way of showing it. Yeah. And we don't communicate that. You know, right. in our community, we just expect you to, the kids are to kid. be seen yep. and not heard. Right. You know, mm -hmm. um, and we're not taught to express our feelings at all. So imagine going from feeling that nurture, parenting, you are the child, you know, your parents got it. And then the day where you're like, oh, I got to step up. Yeah. So let's transition, you know, into that where that stopped. Where did you feel like that stopped? Um, at what age did you feel like that stopped and now I got to harden a little bit? 
Yeah, it started slowing down about like 10 or 11. Mm. And then about 12, 13, it was probably over with. Mm. Mm. Um, critical ages, too. Critical, critical ages, right? That's yeah. the preteen, teen mm-hmm. things are different. Expectations, you know, are different. Going to school, you got to have certain things and. Gotta have it. You gotta have yeah. it. You know, there's nothing it when you're a kid, there's nothing worse than going to the school and not feeling accepted by your peers. And it yeah. simply could be <laughs> the pair of shoes, you know, you gotta Man. you don't never wanna be that mm-hmm. kid. And as you know, when you step into now being a parent ourselves, now I feel so guilty about the amount of pressure that I put on my mother. Um because I could not, I did not want to be, that, you know, yeah. that kid. These kids yeah. can be mean, but when I look at it now, just doing what I do, hurt people, hurt people. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, kids were hurting. And the only thing they knew to do was to hurt other people's feelings. Hurt other people's feelings, right. Um, and not knowing where people, we all coming from the same place. As, <laughs> exactly. You know, coming from a whole bunch of trauma. We're all working. But that's norm, but we don't really take it serious you know mm-hmm. like i'm hurting yeah. on the inside i don't even know it but yeah that's why we rib each other that's how we do it. we yeah. rib each other so we can not feel bad about our own situation exactly. and put it off on somebody else and that's why in, in you know in these neighborhoods we had to be quick on our feet we yes. had to we had to um be able to rib back because i'm not then exactly you gonna you know that was our defense gonna, mechanism yeah, exactly. get up off me exactly i'm not i don't care if I i'm not the one right i'm not the one you got the wrong one <laughs> you're not gonna get me so then last now we we 14 we didn't jumped in the game um we didn't want to but now we 14 we still a kid can you talk about the first moment of your when you that expectation to deliver now i'm in it can you talk about those feelings um, of how you felt mentally? Yeah. You know, when the first was put in your hand and you had to get out here and get it. Yeah. Um, before that, uh, I I used to have a lot of little hustles. Okay. Uh, before I did that, I shoveled snow, cut grass. I washed store windows. I uh, collected pop bottles. Uh, you name it. You know what I mean? Uh, paper rod in the ghetto. Yeah, you know what I mean. Real, real rare because most cats they want they want doing that, and uh, so all these little hustles they really didn't amount. You know what I mean. Yeah. So uh, after after my uh my guy rest his soul, uh, Dirty Mark, he gave me my first pack. Just gave it to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. He was just kind of probably sad about how I was living. Like here, man. Like mm-hmm. just take this. Like. I know you ain't trying to do it. You got to do something, man. Here, take this shit. Mm. And that's what I did. And uh, and then after that, you know what I mean? I, uh, You know, I was introduced to all kind of avenues. You know, even uh, even my mother introduced me to some things. Yeah. You know, uh, gave me my first pistol. Gave me permission mm-hmm. to shoot somebody if I needed to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh put a pack in my hand, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It was, a, uh, you know, and after that, with that kind of thing, to me, it made it feel like this is what I'm supposed to do or it's, it's okay. okay. Accepted. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Your mother tell you to do something, you're going to do it. And you know what I mean? That's not uncommon. Yeah. You know, yeah. the trap. That's Girl. not uncommon. And Time we out here, up. we not getting away from here. So I got to show you how 
to navigate, right? You know, out here, that is definitely, you know, not uncommon. Um, can you talk about as a kid some of the things you started realizing on your own that you needed and didn't have? Hell yeah, shoes, uh, clothes, food. You know what I mean? All the all the essentials. Yeah. And you know, imagine that. Right. Just the regular stuff that every other kid you know. had, you know, or it just looking back and saying that, like you said, the breakfast and then now not being able to, yeah. you know, yeah. the breakfast is synonymous with the clothes, the shoes and the. Exactly. And 14, I can't go just get out here and get a job job. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm yeah. still a child. Um, I'm still mandated to be at school, you know, at a certain time. And like I said, things started falling off at 12. Right. And the one thing that was made accessible to you, you know, was drugs and, drugs. you know, things yeah. to do. And people really need to really understand what, you know, the, when we say forced hand, what am yeah. I going to do? You know, and as a child, your brain isn't even fully developed till you're exactly. well off in your yeah. 20s. Yeah. And so right. if I got... You know, my influences and I, even my own parent who mm-hmm. understands, you know, this is what we got to do. What am I supposed to do? Exactly. And, and, to, and to your point, too, like you did the you did the paper routes, you did the mm-hmm. you did the uh, collecting, the uh, you know, bottle pop, uh, bottle, yes. all that stuff. And it was a slow burn. It was a slow hustle. And then next mm-hmm. thing you know, now you you were introduced to this fast hustle, and it was coming quick. Mm-hmm. I'm and it could get what I needed consistently. Yep. That other stuff was a guessing game. Yep. You know, if I could get paid and get enough to get what I need. Mm-hmm. So now I need food. I need clothes. I need shoes. I need essentials. I got to get it. I right. need transportation. Now I got something that could get me. You know, all of that at once, and I could keep it going. Keep it going. And it don't seem, in my child mind, it don't seem like I'm harming nobody. Right. This is what we doing. This is how money rotates, you know, around here. And our children are being subject to that every single day. Can you remember, I'm sure, being as a child in that people knew you were a kid and knew what you were doing. You ever feel, remember being... Tested in that first moment of somebody, you know, trying to take advantage of your age and testing you, you know, yeah. your hustle. I remember the exact first moment uh, <laughs> when my. <laughs> <Why you back? laughs> I gotta hear this one. I gotta hear right. this one. I gotta hear this one. The only gangsters laugh at something like this because you know it's about to be something. Yeah, my mother, when, uh, she gave me that pistol. Her and her friend, they uh actually had set up shop in our house. Okay. And uh they told me to work the door and if anybody came past me, shoot their ass. Oh, no. And so permission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so, I'm already you know. a kid. Mm-hmm. And what yeah. I wanted to revert back to, can you remember any feelings of anger being put in that position or when you remember where you couldn't get what you when things stopped? Do you ever remember feeling angry? Oh yeah, I was super pissed, mm-hmm. and that uh, that anger, that frustration, that lack of is what made me ultimately say, "Fuck it." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. This this the option that's available. This the option that 
you know, can help right now. So I took it. And so all the time, nobody is addressing it. Now, I'm an angry kid. And now, you know, I'm out here hustling for my life and you put a pistol in my hand. Right. And so, and I got permission. So I've already got all this built up, you know, frustration and all these emotions that were never dealt with. And now I get tested. I used to stay angry. Like, I probably ain't start stop walking around with a frown of face till I was like 18. Mm. And what was what was the stop? What was the stop from the from the getting the breakfast to uh now having to stand at the door and you know have possibly shooting someone? Like what made that what what stopped that transition? What stopped it? Yeah, like what was the the cutoff when everything went bad, if you will? Oh. Uh It was just uh you know the the pressure of not being able to uh go through that yeah. you know what I mean being a being a young boy that mm-hmm. had a man inside of him and I, I had to do something mm-hmm. and, you know so you know our family struggle yeah you know yeah in, in our neighborhoods and we don't really understand what that struggle yeah is. that's what it is and when you live um in the trap and you live in poverty mm-hmm. those those opportunities where you know we still just trying to get up and do it, and we saw the next opportunity, but we don't even talk to our children right. about, you know, That's what happened. Did, yeah. And the kids are left to, you know, pick up the pieces so they think, but not really understanding the parents' story. Yeah. And so next thing you know, you're out there, you know, doing what you got to do. And our parents support that right. because they know where we are. Their mindset, you know, has been, you know, conditioned. You know, in those conditions, and so everybody, you know, everybody it, trying to survive. It happens, yeah. you know, every day. So when we talk about now that pistol is in your hand and you at the door, you know, protecting the whole shop. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the first moment that you were tested to use that pistol, or the first moment of violence that you can remember as a child? Well, I was I was tested the same night. Mm. And I was, I don't know, I, you know, I was young, like I said, angry, and I was eager. For mm-hmm. <laughs> ready to you know, I was, up. I was fucking excited when she <laughs> gave me the permission. The green light, you know, I had little BB guns and shit, but mm-hmm. to put a real pistol in my hand and tell me, you know, shit, I wanted to kind of see what it could do, you know. But uh, the first night, I didn't, you know, I ain't shoot, dude, and nothing. I just. You know, I put it between his eyes and told him I would, and he believed me. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Now, you believe Ooh, the kids right. say, yeah. I want to back up. That had to be a lot of energy that you Yeah, felt, I was like, what that feeling was. You know, to yeah. you know, trust that this kid just might do it. What was your first, because we grew up, we grow up with all these violent films, and we see the guns, and we see... You know, the gangster movies and, you know, no one tells us that ain't, you know, that ain't right. right. That ain't wrong. That's our form of entertainment. Do you remember your first influential film when you kind of just seen that on film too? Uh, or TV show? You know, it was so many shows with violence even before, uh, like, you know, I used to watch Bonanza with my pops, mm-hmm. you know. They stay shooting their own, mm-hmm. exactly. you know. 
uh, even cartoons, G.I. Joe, mm -hmm. you know, it was always a, a, a battle. Mm -hmm. What was your first in-person violent memory that you saw on the trap? My first uh, vis visual violence? Yeah. Something I seen violent? Oh, yeah. man. Let me How think about that. Mm. I probably, uh, well, that I witnessed myself, I probably was about 13. Mm. Yeah, and uh, there was some dudes, some older cats from the neighborhood, I knew them, and uh, they was arguing with somebody in a car in front of my house, and, and uh, some shots rang out. You know, I don't know what happened to nobody, but some shots rang out and uh the car uh pulled off real slow and they scurried, you know. Yeah. Do uh, you remember how it felt hearing them gunshots now it's live and living color? Yeah, yeah. Louder than I ever wanted to hear. You know what I mean? Yeah, the the noise was outrageous. Do you remember how you felt at the time, Hannah? Did you feel fear, worry, concern? Like, oh, this is real now. I wasn't ready for this. Yeah, a, l a little bit of everything, you know. Because mm -hmm. you don't know uh, if they're going to get to shooting recklessly. You know what I mean? You don't know if somebody got killed. You don't know You don't know what happened. What's going on? You know, totally unexpected. One used to hearing those shots at the time, yeah. you know. Yeah. And did you feel like now that when you got that experience, now that you got the gun, did you ever remember hearing that? Like, I can't let that happen to me. Did that fear and anxiety kind of follow you along when now you got a gun? You know what? For a while it did. You know, that's a, that's a real unique question. Yeah. You know, because for a while it did. Like, I I ain't want nothing to do with uh, being around no guns or hearing no gunshots. You know, it was, yeah. it was terrifying. Exactly. Exactly. Did you know at the time what those feelings meant? You know, did you know yeah. how to describe them or didn't feel comfortable saying like, man, that scared me, you know? No, I mean it was it was scary to all of us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anything uh new and period or dangerous, you know, it's gonna it's gonna have some kind of effect to it. Right. Did you ever did anyone like ever ask, you know, are you okay? You know, did you know, how do you feel? Oh no, nah, wasn't none of that. Mm-hmm. anything it was uh Get your shit together, suck it up, and keep it moving. Mm -hmm. Man up. Man yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That just does something to me when I hear about the kids, because I see it mm -hmm. so, so much. Yeah. The culture. The culture, yeah. you know, and that is our norm. And I don't think until you live that and understand, like, yeah. how is that normal? And you even think about it yourself, like... Man, the way I grew up and the things that I saw and not really understand, I probably was traumatized back then 
and how that how that affected how I moved. Yeah, right. you, you see it a lot of times in fathers, you know, uh, that had that rough upbringing, and you know they see their kids they playing ball or whatever, and the kids get hurt, especially the sons, and they tell them you stop all that crying, you know, this that and the other. Now you flip that now to 2020, and you see like some fathers like hugging their son, kissing their son like yes. that. And you see the comments like, "Oh, they're soft," or they, you know, oh or you know, they, you know, they're 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 sweet, or you know, homosexuals, yeah. or whatever. I'm like, that's 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 the man's son, right? That's nurturing. Yeah, yeah. and we're not used to that. You right. know, the men don't hug and kiss the child. They don't tell them it's okay, you know, to cry. You know, you better not be no punk. And what yep. outside races probably need to understand because we come from such rough circumstances we parent out of fear yeah and so i can't i'm not comfortable with allowing you to be scared out there yeah right i need you to be able to make it back home you know to me i need you to be able to handle yourself because it ain't gonna go away exactly and i'm not gonna be around all the time and i don't want you getting got and i don't want you getting got and when you get Mm -hmm. them off you they know not to test you no more yeah but we can't express that you know, we can't teach them that way. No, man up, stop crying. I remember guys like in my neighborhood, boys growing up, like they would get, we called them them open chest. Yep. And your mama would do it. You know, you came back in that house and we've seen it all the time. Would punch you dead in your chest if you came, if you didn't win that fight. And mm-hmm. you got chastised and punished if you lost the fight. And not... You know, saying that that parent didn't care, but like, no, we can't do that out here. You don't want to be known as the loser. Exactly. Now, all right, we started with the genesis of it, the beginning of it. Let's go into when it got to a point where, you know, it's, it's getting good. I'm not really hurting for anything, but I'm staying in it. Can you talk about what roles you played in the street as you got, you know, more comfortable in it and grew older in it? Well, you know, it was a, <clears throat> it was a whole bunch of roles. Like uh, after I uh, dealt with my mom for a little bit, <clears throat> that really ain't work out. So I branched off and uh, yeah. I got with this uh, older cat. And his girlfriend, and uh, they used to have me work at trap house. Mm. And uh, me and my dudes, we used to take shifts in there, you know, twelve-hour shifts. Yeah. And they'd pay us two, three hundred dollars a day for like every thousand we made. Mm. And you know, we like fourteen, fifteen, so a couple hundred dollars a day, we happy. Know you know, you know, fourteen hundred a week. Uh, you know what I mean? Little bitty boys. It was it definitely uh filled the void. And what was some of the things that like you were responsible for? Even though, yeah, I got a pocket full of money, I'm right. fourteen. Did you have certain responsibilities too? Yeah, I'm the uh, I'm the oldest out of uh ten kids. Mm. And uh we it wasn't that many. That, right. Right? Yeah. It wasn't that many of us at the time, but uh, you know, sometimes I had to bring dinner home or yeah. buy some white, some clothes or some shoes or you know, whatever the case may be. 
And I want to say for our people, that's just the beauty thing. We could have got that and got selfish, you know, that anger could have just been something. I could just roll up y'all on your own. But, you know, the sense of I got to provide and then may I wasn't trained up to be a parent. I don't know. But to see, you know, my little brothers and sisters, let me feed y'all. Let me get y'all some clothes. Let me and them not even understanding. He's just a boy himself risking his life every day. This shirt. That he got us this hamburger, he got us, he didn't risk his life, you know, for, uh, it just does something to me. Talk about what kept you attracted, what kept you motivated to keep going? Uh, in the beginning, I, uh, <laughs> when I branched off on my own, I, I couldn't come up for a while. And uh, I think the the motivation was some people telling me I couldn't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the lack of uh, uh, trying to find something else to do or trying to think outside the box. You know, it was what was going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, by then, I wanted to be a part of it. And when you say couldn't come up, can you talk about that for those of us you know who are listening? Yeah, I, I couldn't come up in the beginning. You know what I mean? I I just uh I guess my hustle won uh enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I had spurts where I did I was young and had a little change and I had spurts where I just couldn't couldn't get right. You know, it was just uh I don't know if it was the timing or if it was meant for me to do or you know, I don't know. Just a few times it just the shit wasn't working. You know, it wasn't uh yielding the fruit that I I was looking to get out of it. But still taking the same risk. Still taking the same risk. And not, you know, it's a guessing game if you're gonna get that reward. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. That, yeah. That, 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 and that was a risk. That definitely was a risk. Um so then you move forward and tell us like when did it start coming up for you? When did it start Becoming your 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 hustle started matching, you know, your reward. Well, uh, I don't know. I I probably had a little taste of uh, success when I was probably like sixteen. Okay. You know, I uh, I was able to you know come up a little bit and sustain myself to having a a couple more partners along the way. One of them including my brother. And to uh, having my hand in 10 to 15 neighborhoods. <clears throat> and then I had a little, because I ain't hustled the whole way neither. Like I would uh, quit some, quit hustling sometimes and work a job. You know what I mean? If things were slower, it just wasn't clicking. So I did that for a minute. You know, I was 16, it died down for a little minute. So I worked for a while. And then about 18 to 19, it took off. Uh, it took off a lot. You know, me and one of my dudes, we was uh tag teaming, and uh, we got we got on. We came up. We was uh, you know, we was. I don't know how to uh 
really articulating without yeah. going too deep. But I was going to let the people know. I mean, I thank you for sharing your story, period. I know we can't yeah. get into the depths gotcha. you know, of everything, but mm-hmm. I just think it's important for people to understand the thought process mm-hmm. and how people do you know, get involved. Don't get me wrong. Some people will go out there and volunteer, you know, to do it because they seek that thrill. Right. But it still becomes a trap when you are seeking those rewards. Now you got this money. Now you got these clothes. Now people are looking at you different. You got some admiration. And you got to think about it. Who signs up to be trapped? Right. Yeah. You know? And and I would say this. I would say we went from... uh, you know, trying to make it to not supplying the neighborhood, but, you know, supplying some people in the neighborhood. Mm. Yeah. What are your thoughts when you hear um, trap music, where trap music glorifies the uh, glorifies the trap, glorifies the hustle, <laughs> and you were in it, and, you know, they, they always talk about, well, some rappers, but most rappers always talk about the come-ups. They never talk about the... The, you know, the days where they were on the corner had to, you know, had to do what they had to do or almost getting killed. Like, what are your thoughts about it? Like, do you even enjoy trap music? You know what? I do enjoy it, but that, that part do kind of, I talk about that sometimes too. That part kind of pissed me off because mm-hmm. they don't never talk about the struggle. They just act like everybody always had it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that ain't the truth. You know, you had to come up with something. You know, some guys got lucky and they people was doing it or they met the right person and they blessed them. But I always got mine from the dirt. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever gave me shit for real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not nothing substantial enough to change my life or right. to level me up. You know what I mean? They might have thrown threw a dog a ball here and there, but to really uh, elevate, I had to do that. Yeah, and so, to realize where it, it started from and how mm-hmm. I even got here. You know, I was a kid. Trying to survive, you know, trying to eat. And then now I'm still in it. Here it goes. And then, like I said, I tried to, you know, work a job. But that becomes so much more accessible when you go, you know, work this job and you went from having that paycheck that you're going to make every two weeks, you can make that in a couple of hours. That's the thing right there. It's like, and then now my, now taxes coming out of it. Exactly. And I just made this just like, like you said, you're making this money to, and I'm going to pay weekly. Uh-huh. Like you said, bi-week now, now you get paid bi-weekly. Yes. Yeah. I can do what I want to do. And somebody now directing you and telling you what to do when what to do. I was my own boss, yep. you know, before yeah. I needed to, you yeah. know, I didn't even have that structure, you know, yeah. my yeah. own, um, parents, you know, couldn't, you know, didn't struck me. Right. Um, so that can, you know, that can be difficult and it's not making an excuse. This is reality. This is reality. Um, because we get, you know, there will be so much criticism about, you know, why we can't keep a job or, you know, why this, when you did not have, it's not always that easy. It's not always that easy. Um, when you were not even groomed. With that structure, you will want to say, yeah, listen to your boss. Like, well, wasn't nobody telling me what to do? You know, when I came up, as I grew up. And I could do it better than you. And I could do it better than you. I can do it better than you. I just don't have the credentials. I'm still angry. I don't want to listen to Mm -hmm. you. You know, you telling me what to do like you Mm -hmm. know me. And I didn't even have that in my own, you know, household. So, like I said, it can... Those things can affect, you know, your future. And these are not, I want to make it very clear, we're not making 
excuses, at least I'm not. Just kind of give you people the mindset when we look at our culture and we look at our people and you have these questions and you can't figure out why, you know, but we got to take it back to the beginning. Yeah. And when did that happen? Mm -hmm. You know, his nurturing, his parenting stopped, you know, as a preteen. And so for some, it stops younger than that. Yeah. So to see him even still survive to get to 16, live in such, you know, a savage lifestyle at the time, you know, is a miracle. Yeah. yeah. So um, now we go from not having nothing. Now we're just getting a little money to feed myself, get some clothes. Now I got it at my disposal. Can we jump into that? Like, what does it feel like having it at, you know, your disposal? now and the cars the clothes the women the whatever does that keep you attracted in the game too very much so very much so and you know it, it kind of uh felt good to be the, the underdog that's that it came up now mm-hmm. you know what i mean and uh it's just uh, for me it was a lot of the thrill yeah. it was a lot of uh been able to manipulate, you know, I, I got a kick out of that shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, the, the power of the street. Exactly. Now I have power. I have money. Yeah. You know, that is a feeling like no other. Yeah. And it, that can become yeah. an addiction, you know, in itself. Because what does that do now? I was the one in fear first, and now I'm fearing others. Mm-hmm. And that also gives me a safety net yep. that you won't too much try or test me, you know, because you see that yep. I got money, power, and respect now. And that manipulation piece, too, Ooh. it is addicting. Like, exactly. it, you can, when you make somebody do something that you want to do, and all you got to do is maybe yeah. say a few words, maybe throw a little yeah. sprinkle a little bit here and there, and they'll do oh, it. yeah. Oh man, you feel like a king or a queen? Feel like a king. Yeah. yeah, you know that's a gangster. Yeah, and it and it went from uh, being scared of gunshots to it was like the wind blew or something. Mm, you know yeah. what I mean? It, it didn't even matter. Mm. Somebody could be shooting. I'm standing there, and don't even fret no more. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't. You know, bullets ain't got no eyes, but I, for whatever reason, I wasn't even worried about it. I was right. numb to the shit. Yeah, mm. and that's how the, the game numbness, goes. Yeah. At some point, did you ever feel like enslaved and like we call it the trapping? We, you know, I know I discussed earlier why we call it, you know, mm-hmm. the trapping. People will get that confused with the hood, but for a lot of us, trapped is you trapped in that and you it trapped in that yeah. in that lifestyle. Did it at some point feel trapped? I did. I did feel trapped, you know, and I uh, I tried. Uh, different things to get out the way. Uh, once me and one of my homies, we went down to Florida and we got certified in this uh, glass, windshield glass repair shit. We come back, we all gun ho about it, but we ain't ever even do shit with it. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, I was a partner in a car lot. I dabbled in real estate and uh, I had a cutoff time. I had a year that I said I was going to leave it alone regardless mm. if I was rich or not. And that year came, and I forced my hand, and then I suffered some other consequences due to not sticking to my guns and what I had said. Yeah. So the money that, you know, we earn hustling, 
you know, was putting that tour, trying to get a future, becoming a partner in the car a lot, going down the floor. All that takes money. And, yeah. you know, where we get that money from. So we trying. Yeah, we um, trying. But where do we even get them skills, you know, from to make yeah. this fruitful, you and know, again, and keep a, it going? And it's a slow grind. It's a slow grind again. Now I, I got to sit here and take these classes. I got to sit here and... And wait for this house. I got to sit here and do all this. Now it's a slow grind. Whereas, and like I said, I, you were you were able to get it quick. Yeah. Yeah. No business school training. No, but nothing. We always you know? think we we just gonna do it because others, you know, will have you thinking you can. Like, right. oh, you just popped up and did it. But you don't want to talk about you know everything that it takes to get yeah. there. We are sometimes conditioned to think just money. Yeah. You know, can make it happen. And what I wanted, I think I wanted to go back to when did you first notice that you wanted to make a change? I probably was like uh, 27, I want to say. Yeah. About 27 years old. And I was, uh, I was, we was having my last uh, child at the time. And I just, you know, I got to thinking, I'm about to be 30 in a minute. This wasn't the life I, I, uh, I desired in the beginning. And uh, it was just getting kind of old, you know, getting kind of tired, just looking on my shoulder all the time and, you know, ducking and dodging everything and everybody. Because, you know, the, uh, the feds, you know, they looking, the police looking, the uh, Vice, all kind of special forces, you know, you never know who the fuck look at niggas mm-hmm. telling niggas going down. Uh, it's, you know, droughts, the shit inconsistent, you know, it's ups and downs and, you know, it just get tiring. have to have pistols placed all through your house because you don't know somebody coming in there, you know, mm-hmm. the shit, shit just get to you at some point where if you got any kind of brain you would think you know like damn i need it maybe i need to switch this shit up this shit high risk you know did it ever feel attainable like you said you've been doing all this like i want to stop but did it seem like a reality that you could eventually stop at the time yeah i mean uh it did but then like i said too i worked some jobs along the way i didn't hustle the whole way but whenever things didn't go, I need them go. I always linked back on what I knew, you know. Mm. So it was kind of like I used to call it my natural resource. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You know. Right. Makes you know, sense. That makes sense. Have you ever been in that? Who was the first person that you lost that was close to you in the game? In the game. I don't know. Most of my dudes got killed other ways. They uh, they didn't get killed, you know, in the game. They they did do a lot of time though. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean. So I lost a lot of dudes to the system. Mm. And uh, you know that was tragic. Like one of my guys, he he actually my god brother. He forty three years old, and he probably got twenty years in. Mm. You know, it's like he come to the street for vacation and then go back home. To prison. You know, yeah, because he, yeah. he never outlawed. Mm. You know, never outlawed. Oh, my 
gosh. You know, he was a good guy to have. He always a good guy to have around. You know, he doing good right now. I hope he he stay down. Is he a good dude? You know, but yeah, that's where most of my dudes. They got lost too. The other ones that you know got murdered or you know they uh it was for different reasons. The one for the gang. Wow, mm-hmm. you know, you get murdered for different reasons, right? You know that yeah. you didn't stand that statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you think that's what it is, you know, you in this game, but no, I got murdered for other reasons. For other reasons, yeah. Or yeah. do you remember, you know, how that felt? Your first loss to murder. Hell yeah! Like uh, Ashley, my dude, he was my guy that gave me my first uh. My first few stones, mm. you know what I mean? Then he gave me like 10 rocks right here. Just gave me the shit. But uh, I had took him to see my firstborn. Mm. And uh, he was real silly, you know, jovial. And uh, it was the day before he got killed, too. We went down there and I brought my baby out, let him see her. I'm like, you think she live like me, man? He like, no. Nah. You ugly as fuck. We just started laughing and shit. Like he's silly as fuck, man. He like you can't, you can't never, you could never make no baby this pretty, nigga. You know he talking all that shit. We laughing. So I drop him back off, and uh, the next day, I go up the way to the neighborhood. His name spray painted everywhere. Wow. Okay. I'm like, wow. I'm like what the fuck going on? I'm like what, what kind of bullshit they on? So then I uh, hear what happened. It just killed him, and he was a. Uh, he was older than me, and he was one of them cats who used to tell me, like, don't go to other neighborhoods because, you know, niggas be tripping and, you know what I mean, they'll do something to you over there. You know, he kind of looked out for me like a big brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ended up getting killed in a different neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, over uh, something to do with a girl and a baby. And the baby, the lady told, the chick told the, uh, him and another guy it was both their baby. Oh, wow. And, uh. Yeah, dude killed my dude with the baby in his hands. Wow. That's still the game, though. You know, that's still that life. Yeah. You know, within that, oh, my God. How do you feel after that loss? Did it affect your viewpoint? Did it harden you, change your mind about some things? Did you feel, did you understand what traumatized was? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was disturbed by it. For real, like it just didn't seem real, and it right. it definitely uh hardened me, but it didn't stop me from doing nothing I was doing. I actually probably even uh got more involved. It went harder, yeah. I never was the uh, one to stay in my neighborhood. I always went anywhere I wanted to go and did whatever I wanted to do. So I I really uh probably just stood on it then. I probably lost a little piece of me. You know, because he was somebody I really looked up to. Somebody, you know, came through for me in the in the trenches. Right. Yeah. You needed somebody to have your back. Right. Yeah. Somebody, you know, that first person to come through at a, such a hard time. Yeah. That is definitely a traumatic, traumatic loss. Sometimes you don't even realize it in the moment, you know. Yeah. I'm, just th- you look back. I'm just thinking like just the, you said he saw your baby and then you dropped him off. Like what? You know, were p- people watching you while you were dropping, you know, dropping them off or anything like that? Like, I, in my brain, that's what I'm thinking, like, how, you know, how sudden that happened. It's just traumatizing, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, 
And then somebody that you cared about too. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So now that okay, we we need deep in it. And now we've talked about now I've got kids, you know, I've had relationships. How did being in that lifestyle affect your relationships? And we're talking about fatherhood, family, friends, you know, romantic relationships. How did that affect it at all? Fatherhood, uh, it affected my children, my daughters, yeah. because uh, they never lived with me. Mm. And they had an issue with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they was taught two different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, their mother was more than humble, and I was extravagant. Yeah. So she pulling one way, and I'm pulling another, and we just never really uh, had a mutual ground. Uh, relationships, uh, you never knew who was who. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, the women I dealt with. They definitely had ulterior motives. Mm. You know what I mean? They really, I, now I'm looking back at it, I don't think they gave a fuck about me. It was just what I could do for them at the time. Yeah. You know, friends, I only had a few. And, you know, I wonder about this to this day. Like, we was tight. And, you know, they animals. And, you know, I wonder sometimes why I ain't get ate. Mm. <laughs> right. <Wow. laughs> right. <laughs> That's sad. Yeah. You know? Them niggas vicious. They real yeah. vicious. You, you know, fat guy in this. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they they my homies, so, you know, we was good. And uh, family, you know, I I, I, uh, I looked out for my family. You know what I mean? My, my uh, people always uh, was there to give a helping hand or you know, uh, whatever kind of help they need, financial uh, advice, they need me to put my hands on somebody, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whatever the case may be, they know they can always call me. So, And I, that was important to me, to be there for family. And, I mean, I think, again, when you look at how you felt kind of left out there alone, yeah. but that turned you when you got the opportunity you know, to be there, that wasn't your choice, you know, to get back and try to keep your family together, try to provide for them. What do you think made you, you know, into that instead of just completely hard? Like, I ain't dealing with y'all. I think what, um, I think because it was needed and I knew it was something that I lacked. Yeah. You know, so I, whatever I lacked that I didn't have, that's what I tried to give. You know, to my family, to my children, you know. That was my next question. Yeah. Do you feel like remembering your childhood, did it impact your parenting at all? As far as, do you feel like you were a parent or a provider or both? Like teaching life lessons, being nurturing, or was it just I make sure y'all had everything? You know what? uh I probably did more providing than teaching. Yeah. But I definitely did do a lot of teaching. But some of it is just starting to stick with like my oldest daughter now. Yeah. Mm. You know, for whatever reason, you know, it might have been the tug of wars we was having, but a lot of things she, you know, she had called me up, like, hey man, you know, I was thinking about this, and 
she like, I didn't even realize you was teaching me that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I always tried to be instrumental, but I spent more time in the streets than I than I should have. You know, yeah. granted, I did get the kids on the weekend. You know, we would do either go out do an activity. Like on Sunday, I ain't sell nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went with my sacred. family. Yeah. yeah, that was sacred. We gonna do something. We gonna go somewhere. We gonna cook a dinner at home. We gonna hang, watch some movies. You know, we gonna do something. But and it didn't matter how much money they had. You know what I mean? They already knew. I'm calling him on Sunday. He ain't coming out. Uh-huh. Period. Get that. Let's talk about when you got when you got stopped. Stop when you got stopped. Not trying to. You know, stop on your own or do something else now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put it on your neck, neck. Let's talk yeah. about that. What happened? Well, this guy that was, uh, you know, I thought we was, uh, thought we was boys, thought we was like fam. I had been rocking with him off and on mm-hmm. since I was 18. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he used to be back and forth from Cleveland to Cali. And, you know, we had, we had did a lot of shit along the way, along the years. You know, so I didn't, uh, you know, I trusted him. And uh, he basically, uh, he set me up. He involved me in his video. You know, he got me, uh, you know, he got me fucked up. Yeah. Then that led to prison. Yeah, so, yeah, it led to prison. Uh, they caught us with some shit that... uh. And he, you know, we uh, we went down, and he didn't take out. Mm. Mm. What was your trust? Yeah. Bef- what was your trust before that? Before all that, like, were you always were you were you trusting, or were you always kind of had like your one eye open all the time, or how was it? I mean, I had one eye open for most people, but mm-hmm. he was one of the people I didn't. Yeah, you know, like I like my my dudes. I said was animals. For whatever reason, I trusted them with everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I I had to worry about them, and I didn't feel like I had to worry about dude, and that's how I ended up getting into the situation. And uh, we got popped. As soon as we got popped, I knew it, we was looking at ten or better. Mm. And you know, that's I just big in a trap. Mm-hmm. You know, when that trust given without even thinking twice about it, because we all. You know, in this together, we all taking the same risk. We're all in the trap. Building that when, especially when you were a kid and you in such circumstances, your friends are everything, you know, to you. They are your family. Um, And they out there on them front lines, you know, with you too. But we never really take a look back about how hungry everybody was. Right. Um, And what they struggled did to their mindset, you know, and... Their trust, and it's almost um, when you lose a friend to betrayal and things like that, it's almost worse than what a family member, yeah, you know, can do. Yeah. Like, man, we didn't see a lot. Your family's not always, they probably know some of the things yeah. you're doing, but they're not out there, out, not out you there. know, with you. You know, my family member, of course, you might have a cousin or some or a brother out there with you, but. For the most part, you understand what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Um, it's my brother in arms right yeah, here. Like we when, in the trenches together. Yes. When you meet just how like soldiers on a battlefield, mm-hmm. they still keep in touch with each other. Because we had each other's back I out there. with my life. And to see yeah. that turn, you know, yeah. that can do something to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It can really affect how you form relationships. 
in the future, you know, with anybody. Um, and when you now you sat down in prison and you're thinking about it. Can you talk about that? You know what it did to me? It mm. kind of soured me from the street, mm. from the gang. Because mm. I always, you know, I was I was one of them dudes like I, I could get pulled over by the vice and they'd tear my car up and I'd be sitting there like wondering when they're going to be done because I know they ain't about to find the shit. <laughs> and, the, and the bitch loaded. Mm. You know what I mean? As long yeah. as they don't bring the dog, I ain't even worried about it. Like, yeah, hurry up, man. Fuck out the way. <laughs> <laughs> Let me keep moving. You know, I was the master hiding spots. And my shit was kind of, you know, my game was kind of tight. Yeah. So after that, it just made me look at it like, damn. You know what I mean? I always said if I ever got knocked that it was over with. So And then by like one of my closest people at the, at the time, it just it kind of fucked me up for real. Like it just turned me all the way off. Wow. Like I don't know. I don't, even, I, I don't even trust my judgment to trust the motherfucker. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, because how the fuck I ain't see that? You know, right? It bothered, it bothered my core. And it make it makes me like outside looking in. It makes me wonder, like, was he pulling strings through the whole relation, y'all whole relationship? Yeah. To up to this point where you know you finally got the the uh, you know you pull the the curtain back and like, hey, look, it's him, it's him. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like was he doing this just to? You know, to get you popped, like you said. And you know what? I looked. I re, I definitely did review the whole relationship from twenty plus years ago. Like, and there was a lot of things that you know that stood out to me after I thought about it that I still don't know the answer to. Mm. So mm. I don't know who the fuck dude was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he he definitely ain't who I thought he was. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I think that was just so powerful. I don't trust my own judgment, you know, on who to trust. Do you understand? Yeah. How powerful. That is powerful. You know what I mean? After being, after being betrayed, yes. you know, like. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about some of the things we've been talking about in this journey with this podcast is just the mental health piece in incarceration and dealing with the police and while we have you, you know, telling your story and what you can talk about your feelings, the moment like you got arrested and like that was all going down. Can you remember at that time what that felt like and what was going through your head? We want to walk through the arrest on down to being sitting, detained, you know, yeah. waiting to be booked, your court hearing, mm -hmm. and then finally going to prison. So can we start at the arrest when you're just like, oh, it's over? Yeah. So uh, I swooped dude up. He jumped in my car. And we pull off. And we head down the street in a, in a series of cars, like probably like 15 of them, plain Jane, all kind of just normal shit. People be dry, driving, just hit the corner. Real rough, real raw, real quick, real fast. And, you know, if you're in the streets, you know what that look like. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, damn. And he like, you know, he, he want me to crash into him. <laughs> <laughs> still playing his role. <laughs> yeah. Still right. playing his still role. Right. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. Oh, my God. So, you know, we maneuver. We both bail out the car. You know, uh, they catch me. They catch him because he couldn't, uh, it was a cliff or something over there. He couldn't get past. 
you know, he come back and I just, you know, I replayed all this later on again. Like, just look, he just looked, the shit, he looked like a fucking actor after I got the, mm, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So they pull us back to the car and, you know, he had this uh, box with him with some shit in it, I guess. I don't know. I ain't even see the shit. You know what I mean? I don't know exactly what the contents was or wasn't. So he, uh, you know, they tell us it's this and it's that, and they arrest us and take us down. And uh, off top, I know whatever it is, it ain't it ain't pretty. And we bought, you know, we looking at about ten. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? That's just what I knew. I knew in my heart that it was gonna be something like that. Now, so we get down there. Yeah. We get down there, and uh, they don't bring them out right away. They put me in a cell, but they take them somewhere else. And then they bring them and put them in a the cell with me. And he like, basically, uh, you know, yeah, they had to put me in here with my nigga, man. And I'm like, thinking to myself, how the fuck you got control over where they put you? <laughs> you know, it was a lot of red flags, but yeah. Shit was great. Oh my God. Right. So now you waiting. You know, to waiting be, on the bond. Yeah, it take three days to be yeah. processed. And you, you know, you wait on your bond, and if you can make bond, uh, you can get out. And uh, my bond was seventy-five thousand. His was two hundred. He had priors. Mm, two hundred thousand. Uh, yeah, two hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah, you could pay ten percent, twenty thousand. You know, and uh. I got out the same day, and uh, he couldn't, for whatever reason, make bail. You know, he was calling back west, trying to get them people to send him some money. And uh, I was trying to help him. Mm. But, you know, my little money was tied up. And uh, I tried to get him to get half up, and I would help get him out, but nobody ever came with nothing for him. Mm, could that so be he didn't make bond. Yeah. Switch up, you know, yeah. where his mental health is declining, and you, I got to get out of here. So I'll give y'all what yeah. you want, mm-hmm. mm. and yeah. um, somebody gotta go. Yeah, he ain't make bond. He spent the year in the county, and that's when he started uh running his motherfucking mouth. Wow. How when? Okay, so you booked out the same day I wanted to ask about that booking process did anyone ask you you know or check in on you what about your mental health yep we know you've been arrested for a crime um right. you know you're going to jail we we get that but still that still is traumatic and you never know like you said that you had already knew like if you get caught you doing at least 10 mm. of the least you're going to do is 10 years. Some people can't take that. Right. You right. Know, and want to do something. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just, so that mental health takes over. Did anyone ever, as far as law enforcement, was there a process where your mental health is checked in? You know what? Uh, yeah, but it was just, it was so generic. Like, mm. So that wasn't they like a come, therapist. It right. was like a police officer. No. Nah, okay. I don't know. 
it might have been a therapist. I'm not sure who exactly it was, but it was someone that came around. And they asked you, "Are you okay? And are you commit like you feel like you're gonna commit suicide, or you know what I mean? All these uh, weird ass questions, and and then that's it. You know what I mean? They they leave, go about their business, and that's that. And we keep kind of hearing that. Can you talk more about why why does it feel generic? So it didn't feel like there was actually right. very concerned. It was no concern. It was more scripted. Mm. You know what I mean? Just some shit like they had to do for protocol. We had to do this for law. Yeah. Do you feel like if you, someone came around, you know, a really good therapist and really like kind of looked you in your eye, you could tell that they cared and not just asking you scripted questions, but you know that it didn't feel generic. Do you feel like you would have opened up like, you know what, man, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm going to kill myself, but I do, you know, I got some worries and concerns that I'm feeling. Do you feel like that or was there never a trust in checking in on your feelings right. process anyway? No, I was just uh, more processing the shit. I, uh, I ain't had nothing for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, what what they going to do? They going to <laughs> give me a get out of jail free card. Or something, you know what I <laughs> right. mean? See, I got to figure out how to make my moves. You know what I mean? What I'm going to do, I'm going to uh, fight this case. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, the money I got left, what I need to do with it. You know, my mind was more on, on that shit. Yeah. Did, when, yeah. You, when you said you, when you got, you know, when everything went down, you said you were looking at 10, you already knew. Did uh, did anybody tell you why you were going through the process or the, the lifestyle of the trap? Or was it? Or did they, or was this something that you just saw around you and like, oh, wow, they, they gone for a long time. They gone for a long, was it like a learn as you go process? Or did somebody sit you down and say, all right, if you do this crime, you do that crime, or you do this, you do that, you're going to do this time, you're going to do that time, and it's the consequences? Well, uh, after years of being, a, you know, fucking around, uh, we we always did our research. Okay. So we didn't know exactly what we was into, exactly what we looking at. You know what I mean? And that don't mean the risk became less. Mm-hmm. We just know the risk. Gotcha. You gotcha. know what I mean? Gotcha. That's, that's how businessmen work. They know the risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But talk about your feelings when, you know, the gamble came down and you got your, your fate, your prison fate, and hearing your sentence. And now, because you came off the street to the court to go to prison. Correct. Right? You weren't waiting in jail. No. Um. No. How did that feel? Did you already have feelings of knowing you were, you know, you're going in? Yeah, I knew I was going, but it's it's still stunned. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? It definitely stunned. Walking it's off the freedom uh, to go into knowing that I know yeah. I'm going, going. I know I'm going. Yeah. How yeah. did it feel like kissing your babies and hugging your babies for the last, well, not I'm going to say the last time, but knowing yeah. you were going into wild. that? Talk about that. You know what? It was real hurtful for me. Cause I was, uh, you know, I was a hands-on dad. Period. You know what I mean? Uh, I spent as much time as I could. I went to field trips, and you know, my daughters could call me, and I go up to school and take them lunch, or you know, whatever. Just shit that some parents don't have time to do because they don't have a flexible schedule to do that. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, it it was uh, it was hurtful. I felt like I let them down. You know what I mean? Felt like uh, 
it was an instrumental time in both of their lives when they, you know, they needed me. Yeah. And then, let alone, like, the people that you leaving behind. Yeah. Thinking about the kids, did you ever consider or think about how you were feeling at that time? Or was it that was kind of not a priority at the time? Your feelings? Well, I mean, it was what it was for me. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, it was uh, the only thing that, you know, the only way I had to get through it. I had to lay it down and get back. And uh, actually, I got a son that's incarcerated. And uh, we was going to court at the same time. Mm. Same wow. same day, same floor, different wow. judge. Wow. You know. And uh, he asked me then, he like, Dad, he like, they about to give you some time? I'm like, yeah. He like, you about to go to prison? I'm like, yeah. He like, man, I'm, I'm about to go on the run. I'm like, man, fuck that. What you going on the run for? He like, man, I ain't about to. I'm like, listen, man. I'm, like, I'm about to go do this shit, get back so I can get my life back. You know what I mean? I'm like, that time you going to spend running, mm. it'd be time you could have got this shit over with. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sure. You know. But he chose to do what he did, and I laid it down. And uh, he come home in July of next year. Mm. Mm. Wow! Imagine. Yeah. And I've been I've been home I've been home a year now, a little over a year. Oh wow! Like just imagine, you know? Right. Like do, and I know so much like going on, but these are the things that impact our thought process on everything. I'm going to court. I'm in prison and my son is going the same day. I can't even be there to support him. You know, not knowing and each other don't know, you know, what was really going on. And then to see that at that time, at that day, at the same time. And now I'm a father looking at my child about to go on a run, but yet I can't even focus on that completely because now I have to go in here and do what I got to do and go to court Mm -hmm. and I chose to lay it down and now I'm thinking about my child out there right you know running doing what he doing got my other kids to think about then I got to come and train my mind to be a prisoner Mm -hmm. you know now and we continue to put our feelings like aside, you know, and dealing with what we got to deal with internally. Cause would you were you offered um therapy or anything when you were in prison? Uh no. No, I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. There was no rehabilitation process at all. Like nothing to get you when you come out, just be like, all right, I can start a new life. Mental, re- Men, yeah. you know, rehabilitation. Mental re- rehabilitation. It's a lot of manual. Yeah. No. But mm. mental nope. and emotional. Mm. Not at all. No mental. Uh, and the manual is not uh, not forced at all. Like, it's not even... Mm. Uh, it's offered and it's hope that you won't take it. Mm. Wow. So just like with the mental. It's yeah. Like, we yeah. Just, just yeah. stay in here. Yeah, yeah. And no, it just it it baffles me on beyond mm-hmm. that the Department of the Corrections, corrections. yeah, it's supposed to be corrections. Missions, you it's know, is rehabilitation. Yeah. 
and rehabilitating you know, back into society. But however can you think that without dealing with people's mental and emotional abilities? Um, understanding that you, and you don't even have to understand where they come from. Mm-hmm. You just, you just know that was trauma. That was mm-hmm. traumatic leading on up. And then to leave a life, to lead a lifestyle like that, knowing you were taking this high risk, I got to help you understand your thought process behind that. Cause I want to change it. Locking you up is just not always going to do it. Right. And even if you don't go back to that, there's a mindset there that was never healed. And so I want to ask you, Skin, do you feel like your trap wounds have been healed for the most part? No. Nah, I feel like I don't I feel like a a, a trap addict. Mm. You know, like it's days that I don't the shit constantly <laughs> the shit constantly be on my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I had to I had to work that shit like a twelve step program, just yeah, taking one, right. one day, one day at a time. Day at a time. Yeah, but that's a real. reality. But it's part of your life too. Like you grew up doing this, so how do you tell somebody that grew up doing something to one day just stop because I put you in a cell? You know what I mean? That's when we go back to they should have offered some programs. Some they, that your twelve step should have been in while you were in exactly. in, in um. In prison, so it's, yeah, that's it. Yeah, because we went from age fourteen yeah. to when did we go to prison? How old? Thirty nine. Thirty nine. That's a that's a huge part of your life. Excuse me, right? Yeah. So why wouldn't you think that you had to have a hustler's a gangster's twelve step? Mm-hmm. Um, I know yeah. there's um, a therapeutic model that is sometimes utilized. In um, in the prison system, in the correctional system, called CBT, and it's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. It is a modality to help you think differently, and it is set for corrections. You know, and we're talking about criminal minded. But what they first have to understand is, I never consider myself a criminal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, can we use some other language? Help me, and still add. You know, I. Didn't even don't even understand the depth of what I was really doing until y'all stopped me. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, yep, I know it was against the law, and I got to serve my time for my crime. But you, I need you to help me understand. Not only maybe was I endangering others' lives, but I never even considered my own. Right, I'm risking my own life, and I thought not twice about it. Yeah, yeah. We need to help them understand to care enough about themselves, too. And that's something I'm always at this system about. You want them because you're dangling this over their head for them to get up and sit straight. Well, I'm trying to get them to love themselves a little bit more. Why are they putting themselves, you know, out there and not thinking twice about it? So we do have to work this. And I'm so powerful that you said that like a 12 step program. Let's talk about that first. So the beautiful thing is that, you know, you were released. You got your freedom back and you made the decision to leave this alone. Now, let's give these people some more hope about what you decided, you know, to do and how you got into it. All right. So uh, about, I don't know, about nine, ten months in, I was just wasting time for real. Yeah. You know what I mean? I really didn't uh, have no plan. 
Yeah, in prison. Okay. I ain't had no plan. I just was, you know, kind of like uh, going through the motions, I guess, again, you know, acclimated to this new environment. It's all fucked up. So, you know, I just got to, got to thinking. And uh, I, I went to juvie before, and that was the only other time I had been incarcerated. Mm. So when I was in juvie, I got, uh, I got a GED when I was in juvie. So I, I finished school at uh, 16. Okay. And uh, I just, I thought about it like, damn, I took something from them then. What can I take from them now? Yeah. So I started doing some research and uh, found out that they had uh, programs in a couple of prisons. And uh, the one I was in, they didn't. And uh, they had a CDL program at one of the ones that was close to, uh, it was in my catchment uh, area. And that's a... Uh, that's a commercial post- driver license, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, commercial driver license. So uh, the catchment areas, they're supposed to send you to a prison within 90 miles of your resident. It don't always work like that, but yeah. sometimes they do. So uh, I did my research on it, and uh, I sent this shit out called a kite. And the kite go through the whole state, wherever you want to send it to, wherever you're sending it to. Okay. So I sent it to the unit manager at uh, this different prison, this other prison, and uh, tried to get over there. So they they accepted me to come over there, and uh, I uh, I actually turned it down because it came back too fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a couple months it went by, and uh, they came back with it again. And so. I'm like, damn, it kind of felt like, you know, this your opportunity. So I took it and I transferred down there. And I, I transferred three years before I could even get in the program because it was hard to get into that particular facility because it was a programming facility. Yeah. And they was real, you know, a stickler about programming there. So I did other programs, college, you know, uh, fiber optics, a few other things I had put my hands on while I was there. Uh, screen print. And uh, just, in, you know, to wait and be in position and not waste no time to the CDL pro- program came around. So that came around and uh, I got in it, luckily, because it wasn't, a, it wasn't a given. You know what I mean? It's, it's very limited spaces. And uh, they only select... Uh, you know, certain people that fit the criteria to go through the program. Like, you can't have no violent crime, and you can't have no, uh, I guess that still be violent, too, like rape or mm-hmm. something like that. So they let me in. I knocked the program down. I got my, uh, I passed the class, and I got my CDLs like nine months before I was released. And uh, during that time, they had a, a computer lab where you can go to and put your resume online and look for jobs. You know, I did a lot of that. Uh, I called home and talked to some people. You know, some of my homies, they had already flipped the trucking. So I talked to them. And, uh, you know, uh, they, they told me when I come home, just call them. Like, we're going to put something together for you. So I went, I got released to the halfway house. And uh, you got to do orientation in there for a couple of weeks before you can get out and move around and uh, try to look for a job. So I did that for two weeks. They let me out, started looking for a job. And uh, one of my partners, he turned me on to the spot. They gave me a test drive. 
but uh, they couldn't insure me for whatever reason. They said they could, they couldn't insure me because uh, I had an uh, accident on my record before I went to prison. Uh, so they was like, "Yeah, we can't insure you." I'm like, damn. So he turned me on to this other spot, and uh, they hired me on the spot. And I was I was ecstatic. I couldn't even believe it. Like, wow, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, damn. So, and I had looked for it. before I went to them two spots. I had probably went to about ten spots on my own, mm. and just got no rhythm. And uh, so this spot hired me, and uh, I had to go on house arrest to be able to even go to the job. But we pulled all that together. That all worked out, and uh, I started that gig like a month after I was home, and. I stayed at it until two months ago, until I took this job. And uh, i just been, you know, learning the game, putting my best foot forward, taking it one day at a time, you know, staying down until I come up. That's right. And That's I mean, up. let's just point out that, first of all, it's a great paying career, mm-hmm. you know, where yeah. he didn't, I'm, you know, ecstatic for him that he didn't have to come home and be tempted to get back in it by not able to thrive or take in a job. You know, how am I going to make ends meet? And, you know, I'm trying to pick up back and I'm used to a certain level of lifestyle. Um, But being able to be, you know, a commercial driver and being, you know, back being a productive, proactive citizen when I haven't really been. Um, And I know some of Kids future plans and business goals, and I just I, I'm very proud. That's awesome. That's um, awesome. You know, because you don't see that, you know, a lot. And the first year is always usually a really critical time for recidivism. Um, and when you get out, and so like this brother here, you know, I just hope we all can send him some positive energy and help him you stay do. encouraged yeah. because his story we didn't get to hear, you know, a third of it, you know, for obvious reasons. But I think um, these are stories that need to be told. You can do it. You know, take advantage of your time there. Make it, you know, worth your while and come yeah. out here. Do something. And so we just want to say we're proud of you, Skin. And thank you for yeah. sharing your thank story Thank you so much, us. man. Um, man you inspiring somebody. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I appreciate y'all for having me. Uh, you know, anybody out there listening, don't listen to what they tell you, man. You could do it. If I can stop it, anybody can. I can't even believe it. I don't even believe it. Like, but it's it's real. And I just uh, you know, I'm living a different life. I ain't have to. I don't got to look over my shoulder. You know, man. I've been doing that since I was 14 years old. Mm, the reward you know, so, of peace of mind. Yeah, yeah. peace of mind is. And, and I got a, you know, right. I got a quality life. I got a decent resident. You know, a decent vehicle. You know, I'm just uh, staying down till I come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a few of them. He got a couple of them. Um, and he's actually calling from his truck. You know, That's what's up. Yeah. Time, uh, you know, to pull appreciate over. Appreciate you. And do this interview for the truck. And, you know, he really wanted to do this for the culture. That's what's up. And we just thank you again. And it was such a pleasure having you. Thank you so much, I, man. I appreciate y'all, man. All right. Take care. All right, y'all too. Appreciate you. So this episode was important for me to share with our community and others because we really 
we ignore the signs and children that we see. But it was also important to see that little boy grow up uh, to learn from his mistakes, survive from him mistake, his mistakes, and choose another way. And so it's important to heal. And you all deserve healing. Everyone deserves healing. We all make mistakes, but it's how we recover from them and the accountability we take in them. But you don't have to sit in that. And if you've seen devastation and trauma and drama, yes, you should talk to someone and you deserve that uh, healing process. And this was a beautiful story of healing. I work with so many people who never thought therapy was a real thing or it would work for them. And now their quality of life is 10 times better. And they look back and can't even believe this is how they even got here. And they were living that kind of life. So I want to encourage everyone to just be mindful of our children first and foremost. Reach out to the youth. Encourage therapy. And don't discourage it. And the next time you look at a child and you call them bad or difficult or kind of write them off, take a deeper look and see if you can't take them by the hand and get them the help that they need. I thank you again for listening, and I hope you get encouraged by this story. When I grow up, I want to be an architect. When I grow up, I want to be a doctor, a basketball player. I want to be a businessman, a football player. My favorite thing to do is sing. I love to sing. What you want to be when you grow up? I just want to be a man.